Smarties, we are so excited to welcome back college learning disability specialist, Elizabeth Hamblett. She's here to talk about her newest book, Seven Steps to College Success, A Pathway for Students with Disabilities. She shares the origin story of this book and the disconnect between what college disability services can do for learners and what learners and parents actually expect. She talks about the importance of reading this book when your learner is in the eighth grade, ideally. It's not to say this book wouldn't be meaningful later on because it absolutely would be. But she specifically points out that grade because of the specific impact it can have on parent and learner decisions on their course selection in high school. She also discusses how parents and learners can be surprised in the college disability process. And she shares what we love. You know, we love it, Smarties. She talks about the critical importance of non-academic skills and how the drive for success in high school can actually stand in the way of independent necessary for college success. We also were so excited to do a Patreon episode with her as well. So if you are a part of our Patreon community, you will be able to hear our extended conversation with her where she shares her opinions on whether or not learners should disclose their disabilities and some really, really interesting accommodations that Steph and I had never thought about. So that was a wonderful conversation as well. In order to get access to that Patreon conversation and other extended conversations, conversations and freebies that we only release to our Patreon community. You can support us and the work that we do here with a $5 a month donation on Patreon. So the website for that is www.patreon.com slash learnsmarterpodcast. And if you're really ambitious, you can go and up that donation to $10 a month and you'll get access to the episodes a week early. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer you have to learn smarter the educational therapy podcast hi smarties welcome to episode 267 of learn smarter the educational therapy podcast i'm stephanie pitts and i'm rachel and today we are excited to welcome back college learning disability specialist elizabeth hamlet and if you haven't listened to her other episode we are linking it in the show notes but welcome elizabeth Thank you, ladies, for having me back. As you know, I'm not just happy to be a guest here, but I'm also a subscriber and a listener. (laughs) You're the best. (laughs) Yeah, so apparently we need to have more below deck talk, which is not going to be a problem. Yes, can we start another podcast for that? Yeah, let's start another podcast, because that's what we have time for, is to start another below deck podcast. I actually think there's a podcast called Another Below Deck Podcast, but, (laughs) you know, I just want to spend more time discussing it. (laughs) Today, what we want to make sure we discuss is your latest yes. book called Seven Steps to College Success, A Pathway for Students with Disabilities. So before we like dig more into the book, we wanted to just give you the opportunity to remind our audience of who you are and what you do and who you do it for. Oh, sure. Thank you. So um, part-time, I work in a college's disability services office one-on-one with students who are registered with us working on the kinds of things that you ladies do. So time management, executive functioning, reading, writing, organization, that stuff we all love. And when I'm not there, then I am trying to get to as many people as I can and fill in the knowledge gap between what's happening for students at the high school level versus what's happening at the college level. 
address the many myths and misunderstandings that I hear. So I uh, have a twice monthly newsletter. I run a big Facebook community. Find me on social media. I'm all over the place. Um, (laughs) I'm a YouTube channel, you know, just doing what I can to make sure that everybody has all the information they need to make sure that students have the best possible preparation for college. It's not something that is talked about a lot. It's about getting to college right? and then not after you're actually in and what happens. And we talked about it last episode, but I mean, we have clients in the practice definitely. And I know you too, Rach, that have Mm -hmm. really struggled once they got to college. So Mm -hmm. it's really important that we talk about how to get them to that success point. And I think the seven steps... We love a list. We do. We love a list. <laughs> list is fantastic. Good, so yes. I love the way that you broke this down. Oh, I love you. your goals at the top of the chapter. Like this is what you're going to learn. Mm-hmm. Love some goals like that. So it tells me where I need to look. It's the value of a great editor. I got to tell you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it tells me where I need to look if I need to know that answer to that question. Mm-hmm. But what I also love about the formatting and the structure of it is that you know, you take us through step one through step seven, but step one through five is all the pre-work that needs to happen, Mm -hmm. which I think is so critical because I think so often the focus can be step six, which is applying for admission. Yeah. Right. And so that I think sort of highlighting what knowledge parents and students need entering into the process when they have a diverse learner that they're looking to help flourish Mm -hmm. in the right environment. I think that's a really, really intelligent, smart way of starting the conversation about this whole process. So what I would love to know, tell us the origin story of the book. Why this book? Why now? Sure. Well, and this is my third edition. So, you know, I'm really excited to have had a chance to revise. And all three books have the same basic structure of steps, but, you know, it's greatly revised, updated each time, kind of rewritten. Um, It's a real tearing down and, and building back up process for me because, you know, in between, I do what I can to learn more, see what updates there have been, changes, what I see, and, and I appreciate what you said, um, Rachel, about how one through five really happens sooner and frankly should start freshman year of high school mm-hmm. a little bit sooner, even in the eighth grade IEP meeting, as, as I talk about eighth grade IEP meeting for ninth grade. But if I had a dollar for every time a parent said to me, I wish I had seen this mm-hmm. sooner. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's only so much I can do as one person. And and I'm not certainly by any means the only person out there talking about transition. You know, there are lots of great resources to find lots of people out there doing this. But I finished my training as a high school special ed teacher back in the mid 90s. And at one point after that, had a part time high school job and supplemented that with a job in a college disability services office. And it was then that I started to realize that the program I had finished at that same college had not talked about college at all, mm-hmm. what, how the laws shifted and what the changes were. Um, and so then when I was at the next place, um, I was working on a committee where when students want accommodations at the college level, they have to register for them. Uh, For those of you who know your IDEA well enough, there is no child find at the college level. Students have to find us. 
and they register with our office. And as part of that process, very often they are asked what their disability is and what accommodations they're requesting. And I would see, I used to have in my presentations, and it's in the book in part two, some things that students asked for that just reflected how little they knew about what we were you know, required to provide them. Um, one I'll never forget, and this is, gosh, at least 15 how many years ago already? A student once asked for colored note cards. Mm. And that one stuck with me because, you know, I was in that position. I didn't get to speak to students directly, but I always wondered what the student wanted with those. Were we just literally to purchase them for the student? So it started to really bother me that I knew that probably like myself, many special ed teachers didn't have any training that addressed how things would change for their students if they came to college. And I really wanted to to fill in those blanks. So I started doing presentations in my local school districts and then eventually at conferences, um, you know, started writing articles. And I wrote the first book. It was published in 2011. And so the best possible thing I could do would be to put myself out of business (laughs) and make sure that everybody had the information they needed and they didn't need me anymore. That I understand, working ourselves out of a job. Constantly. I think that the mission, I think the need is definitely there. I think that by the time people realize, though, it's too late. Sometimes, yeah. And I hate to hear myself say that because there's so much pressure in so Mm -hmm. many communities on high school students. As soon as they hit high school, everybody's asking them where they want to go. And I think we as a culture, and I know it's not true everywhere, but in those communities where that's happening, we need to back off of that. But the problem is when it comes to stuff with disabilities, because of the way students are sometimes accommodated in high school, We need an eye toward the future if college is their goal. And it won't be for everybody, in which case the accommodations, the modifications that are in place, you know, are not going to be a problem. But knowing that, for instance, at the college level, students probably can't retake a test until they get the grade they want. Mm -hmm. means that there's more emphasis on teaching them how to prepare properly for a test. So those kinds of things need to happen sooner. So you just used two words that have been used several times on the podcast before, but I always like to take the opportunity to redefine things. So accommodations versus modifications. Yeah. Experts in my field have done a really good job in um, in my presentations. I use their wording. Um, so I'm going to have to paraphrase. I apologize. But essentially, accommodations are any adjustments that are made to allow students to show what they know without really changing the expectations for what they'll do. And modifications are things that do change the expectations. So I had a parent email me saying that her student's um, anxiety around tests was so severe um, that she was blanking and she wanted as an accommodation to be allowed to just talk to the professors in place of a test. And that is a modification. Again, let me state very clearly, students should always ask for whatever they want. There are more than 4,000 colleges in this country full of professors with different ways of doing things and disability services offices with different philosophies. I'm here to say that in a longitudinal study, uh, test modifications were, I think, granted it. You were in this sample, fewer than 1% of the students 
received those at the college level. It might even have been below 1%. So just to give you real numbers, anecdotally too, in my communities, those kinds of things are not commonly approved. So even if a student has been turned down by the Disability Services Office for any accommodation or modification. Um, Certainly, they can self-advocate and ask individual professors, as this student did, um, to have certain things. But what they should be aware of is it doesn't obligate other professors Mm. to then do that for them. And so that's where it gets really tricky. And so I think getting students accustomed in high school to the kinds of demands they're going to have to meet at the at the college level is one of the best ways to prepare for them. And what that may mean is their grades won't be as high as perhaps they wish they would be, or they might have to give up a lot of time, you know, to get certain assignments done, for instance, for a deadline. A deadline modification or a deadline extension, which is something that seems to be very commonly approved at the high school level, is not commonly approved at the college level for a lot of students. And so I want them to have, I mean, here's a great term for us to explore, Rachel and Stephanie, Mm self-efficacy. So when they have experience doing the kinds of things that they'll be expected to do at the college level, they'll believe in their ability to do those things. And that confidence to me is so important as they're making that transition because college is thrilling and exciting And it's a little scary. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Like we say, the two biggest transitions we feel are to middle school and to college. Mm -hmm. And everyone just thinks it's high school and it's just not. No, I mean, there's an expression that some people at the college level use. It's not grade 13. It's not meant to be. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. It's not meant to be. I love that. Yeah. You know, the gap expert, my friend Jason, said something about gap experiences that I think really applies to college, which is it's it's meant to stretch you. It's meant to be hard. Yeah. It's meant to make you grow. Mm-hmm. And think and learn. And think and learn. Yeah. So going back to the book. Yeah. In your ideal world, when would parents start reading this book? That's a great question. Thank you. To be honest, again, going back to what I've said, eighth grade. And part of the reason is course selection. So it's not true for everybody, but I know that sometimes high schools will waive their own graduation requirements for some students Mm -hmm. with disabilities, such as not having to take a certain number of years of math Mm -hmm. or any foreign language. And so those are decisions that down the line can affect students' eligibility for admission, not because they're a student with a disability, because colleges will not know that from their transcript. There are students who attend high schools that don't have, for instance, AP classes um, or can't offer foreign language. So that doesn't in and of itself identify them as a student with a disability. But what it means is Colleges don't have to accept students that don't meet their admission requirement. End of sentence. So Uh that could be the student's choice to accept that waiver. But I don't think it should be made without the student's understanding of what the consequences of that could be. 
Um, and it's always possible that they'll apply to a college that has stated recommendations, uh, requirements that they don't meet and they still get in. You know, colleges are always free to admit students that don't meet their requirements. They just don't have to simply because the student has a disability. And so for that reason, I think it's important. I think if a student enters high school with a lot of for instance, modifications, not having to write papers and being able to do a, a PowerPoint presentation instead, having a lot of adult support um, during the day and even after school. Those are all fine things to start. But if the student wants to go to college, we have four years to get them ready for a level of independence that's going to be very helpful to them when they start college. And there's an argument to be made about letting your learner struggle through that struggle through getting the paper in on time, preparing properly for the test, not doing a PowerPoint presentation in lieu of an assignment while they're still in the home properly supported without all the other distractions of college. Thank you. You, you got to the point. Without all the other added on requirements of self-management, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's probably easier to finish a paper in your home with your parents, you know, nearby than it is in a college dorm room with your roommate goofing around and other people on the hallway looking for others to distract them. Um, You know, everybody's looking to goof off in college. Yeah. And, you know, misery loves company. And so do the students who are goofing off want other students to goof off with them. Of course. (laughs) Because it makes them feel better. Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, we could go back to uh, your episodes with Dr. Uh, Sriram. Mm-hmm. Productive struggle. Productive struggle. I, actually, Productive I was struggle. actually talking about him and, his, and that episode yesterday in a school meeting. That's a great episode. I recently sent those episodes to a student as well. So those are some of our most referenced episodes. And we'll go ahead and link those in the show notes as well. Those are the ones that I go back and listen to. Mm-hmm. College is still very academic. You know, some schools are doing more project-based learning, but often, you know, group projects still require writing up a paper at the end. And so if we want them to be prepared, high school has to involve them doing those things. And if they really, really dislike writing papers and they really, really dislike reading texts, college is going to be a slog. Yeah. Yeah. We can't protect them from that. Right. Unless there's some sort of program or something that they're doing or some college that, you know, is vocational school or something else. Thank you for that clarification. I am talking about traditional, you know, frankly, you know, two-year college if they're going for an academic kind of credential Mm -hmm. or traditional four-year college. Even engineering majors have to write papers. Mm -hmm. Even art school students have to write some papers, you know. Mm -hmm. It's going to be hard to avoid entirely. Setting the expectations is so important, like you're saying, and like really starting to know leading up to it where and what you need to be doing if that is your trajectory, if that's where you want to go. But I'm wondering what you think readers would find surprising about the book. It depends, too, on how much information they've had. Fair. I do encounter some parents who have gotten some good information. I think a lot of people still, unfortunately, are surprised to hear, for instance, that IEPs and 504 plans aren't valid after high school. And there's two different ways of thinking about them. They are plans 
in K through 12 that the high school has to follow. They have to provide the accommodations and supports that are written in them. At the college level, those are no longer legally valid plans that colleges have to follow. They then turn into a form of what's called documentation, which is a fancy word for paperwork. So when your students register with our office, as I said, we're going to say to them, okay, fill out this form and where's your disability documentation that shows us you're an individual with a disability. So an IEP or 504, an SOP summary performance document, which is only written for graduating seniors with IEPs, might be allowable as a form of documentation that the college would consider But even if they do that, colleges aren't required to provide supports simply because they're in IEPs. So I see stuff online, parents trying to ask each other, um, hey, what should I have written into my kid's senior year IEP or 504 plan? Because I think they think if they get it into the plan, we have to provide it. And that's not generally how we do things. Are there schools that will just provide whatever is in there? Yes. And also it depends on the school and it depends on... Um, whether those are things that we provide. So, you know, when we talk about levels of academic support, we don't have in-class aids for students who redirect them, tell them to get their notebooks out, you know, redirect them when they're off task. If a student needs a one-on-one aid, they have to ask for it, be approved for it, and provide that person. We do not do that. If you are a parent who is looking You're looking for whatever was in the IEP to easily or at least the majority of it transition into college. How do you find that out before applying? So it's hard because there's just not enough staff at most college disability services offices to do the kind of review I'm describing um, for students who haven't been accepted. And some colleges can't even do it until you've been accepted and enroll. They just don't have staffing. So it is a little bit of, you know, crossing your fingers. I think what's important though, and to your point, which is great, you can start asking questions generally. And my colleagues want you to. They want you to call the disability services office. They'd rather your student do it. Of course. Um, And I recommend in the book, at least splitting the responsibilities and coaching. It's another teaching and learning opportunity for you and your student about, and I'm not being facetious, how to make a phone call, you know, that you have to often set it up in advance. If you really want to ask questions, how do you find out, like, how do you word it to get to the person you need to speak to? Often the person who answers the phone can't answer those questions for you. And you're allowed to prepare for a phone call. Mm -hmm. You're allowed to write down your questions in advance. That's not cheating Mm -hmm. um, in any way. And so you and your student can contact our offices and ask general questions like, hey, I'm used to being able to do a PowerPoint um, presentation instead of writing a paper. Is that something you commonly approve? They will probably hedge we always do and say, well, we can't tell you if you would get that. And we don't have statistics on how often students ask and what percentage of them get approved. But they might say to you, oh, yeah, it happens all the time. Or, oh, my gosh, no, that's really not common. So you can ask those questions. I think that's great. My question is, does every school have a disabilities office? That is a great question. So there's no exhaustive list. The U.S. Department of Ed doesn't have a listing of every single office. But here's the deal. 
there are three exceptions that your school has to meet in order to not be required to provide at least some minimal accommodations. So the big one that captures almost everybody is that if you accept as a university federal funds of any sort, you have to comply with the ADA and Section 504, which are federal. And so even schools with enormous endowments accept Pell Grants, federal student loans, research grants, GI Bill money. And so they are all included. They have to do this. Mm. So sometimes people get ideas that if a school is very highly selective, or as a lot of the consultants I know like to call them highly rejective schools, they don't assume that they don't accommodate students with disabilities because those students have achieved certain scores or GPAs and couldn't possibly need it. They do provide accommodations. So even if you don't take any federal money, the school has to be both private and religious. And obviously, if it's religious, it's private, but sometimes private ones are not religious. So it would have to meet all three of those requirements. So for parents listening who are saying, oh my gosh, the only schools on my kids list are religious schools. I think it's a 99% chance that they do this. And some private religious colleges do a great job of supporting their students. I knew a student who is a dyslexia advocate here on the East Coast. And he went to, I think it was St. Joseph's in Philly and had a really good experience. So you can't assume anything about it. So yes, basically almost everybody provides at least basic accommodations. To your point, Rachel, I use disability services. Every office I have worked for is called that, but they might be called office for accessibility, office for access, student resources, As with any issue, disagreements in my field about whether having the word disability in the name of the office is a good or a bad thing. And even among advocates, I hear parents here, meaning online, see parents saying things to each other all the time about, well, if they have disability in the name, that means they're not very evolved in their thinking and it's not a good place for students. I would be very, very cautious about making those kinds of assumptions. I had a question today in my Facebook group about tours and what people could expect to see on college tours. Don't assume that because a college tour doesn't pass the disability services office, that school doesn't care about students with disabilities. I think folks get a lot of ideas about what things mean when they just are. Interesting. So in these seven steps... In step number three, which we both think is super important, right? We love. It's our jam. Right up your alley. Yeah, it's the Rachel and Steph chapter. Yeah. (laughs) You talk about the development of non-academic skills. And we've talked about that a little bit so far. But let's talk about it in a global sense of like going to college. What are these skills besides getting the grades and doing all the assignments and all of that? What are the things that a parent should expect a kid should be able to do? Mm -hmm. I mean, look, just like their neurotypical peers, it's all the adulting, right? There are lots of great books about adulting out right now. You know, it sort of all falls under this category of self-management. Like you've got to get your laundry done before your roommate complains about how bad your socks smell. Mm -hmm. You need to get to a dining hall, if that's the only place for food, while it's still open. And you need, while there, to eat something decent. Look, I... (laughs) I had an illegal toaster. Don't tell anybody. 
uh, in college and every, I think every morning freshman year, I ate a Pop-Tart because I had not been allowed to have those at home. And so, yeah. <laughs> you know, that was my little self-indulgence, but I did get to the dining hall for, for, for lunch and, and dinner. And, you know, those self-care pieces, the sleep stuff, right? I mean, so much good information about how much sleep we need and how bad it is for your thinking processes. And so when students are not managing that stuff at home in high school and parents are really managing it for them, these are some things I think perhaps it's time to let them go, you know, getting themselves up. uh, One of my previous jobs, our director got a phone call from a father who was upset that nobody from our staff would wake his kid up for class. And, you know, these seem like really obvious things, but when you are, you know, making sure that these things happen for your student. Again, I think one of the things is the goals of getting students through high school sometimes can be in conflict with the preparation for college, right? Because we're just trying to make sure that they're successful at everything. You're so right. In that process, we sometimes derail the preparation because what everybody needs to understand going into this is what this student looks like without all those adults around, because that's what college is going to be. And again, as Stephanie said, we are talking about in a traditional environment where I know people are having all sorts of experiences, but if you are sending them out of the house to go live somewhere, you are expecting them to get themselves up and take care, to get to class. There's no bell that rings in the dorm. Nobody walks down the hallways and says, you know, ringing bell going, hey, everybody, it's time to get to class. Nobody knows or cares if your kid gets to class. Right. Maybe the professors. Yeah, Uh there's no phone call home. I think that's the other thing that, you know, parents struggle with the fact that when they're in high school, they have access to all of these things. And then when the kid gets to college, the kid can choose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You might not get access to the things that you want access to and the college isn't going to make an exception. No. Just because you pay the bills doesn't mean that you get access. And what's interesting is, you know, for the new book, I interviewed people who work, you know, there are some colleges, there's a couple of dozen that offer fee-based programs that offer the supports that our offices don't have to provide. But there are still even limits with those. So even if your student can meet with somebody at, you know, the University of Arizona Salt Center every single weekday, they're not usually open on the weekends. And, you know, it wasn't there, I think, particularly, but just because you're paying them a fee doesn't mean that they are going to share, even if they have access to it, your students' grades. And by the way, we don't often, meaning our office's disability services or those programs may not have access to grades. Some colleagues have said, even if I have access to grades, I won't share them with the parents. The student has to do it. So Mm -hmm. to dial it back to Stephanie's question about the non-academic skills they need. So besides the kind of obvious ones that everybody needs going to college, They also need self-advocacy skills. Mm -hmm. Those take various forms. They need to know enough about their disability to fill out our form. And I have over 20-something years seen students who have said at the question that says, what accommodations are you asking for, have said, see page seven of my report. (laughs) And I wonder if they are even aware of the accommodations they are just received in high school. I understand sometimes this stuff is seamless and it's not explicitly explained to them, but we need to do that because they need to know, oh, you are actually getting more time than your 
than your peers to take a test. I've had students at the college level who didn't realize they had to ask for it. Mm-hmm. And they need to know when they are struggling. And that sounds really strange. But well, first of all, if you're not doing the readings and you're not going to class, you have no idea. You don't understand what's being discussed there. And the wherewithal to find the tutoring center online, look at the site, figure out, can I drop in? Do I have to make an appointment in advance? Oh, look, and here's what happened. Finals, finals, and often midterms. Every appointment's booked because you waited too long. And they don't have to open up a space for you because you're a student with a disability. And that can be different for students than what they experienced in high school. Not everything is a guarantee. Mm. Well, that is a really good way to just end with there's a lot of things about going to college that it's not just about getting that degree or getting the thing or getting in <laughs> yeah or getting in yeah. or that it's necessary there's a lot of different parts that need to happen in order for it to be successful and some kids want it can handle it and some kids can't and i want to leave on a positive note i work and have worked over you know, two decades now (laughs) with so many bright and interesting and energetic, you know, young people, and they can be extremely creative in accommodating themselves and creating structures that work for them and they can be successful. And so I don't want to leave it like, oh, and I have to write these. Look, it is hard work. It is. It's meant to be. You're going to have to read some stuff. And also you're going to have to do stuff you're not interested in. And that is a fact. I, you know, even at schools that don't have those kinds of requirements, like general ed requirements where you have to do two of this and two of that, you're still probably going to have to take a class or two you don't like. One of the college consultants said something great, which was, Going to college isn't binary. Something to the effect of, it's not that you either go straight after high school or you never go. Mm -hmm. There are lots of different times and ways to go to college. There are a lot of people who don't need college. And this conversation would be the same for a neuro to parent, you know, audience of parents of neurotypical kids as well as those with disabilities. Totally. There are a lot of things you can do in this world without going to a four year traditional college. But if they're going to go, They need to be prepared to do all of this stuff. And for a lot of students, you know, it's a little bit of a drag, but the overall experience is enough. Um, But if you're looking at your high school senior and you're trying to imagine them doing all of this stuff, getting themselves to class, writing a paper without somebody sitting next to them or even on Zoom, you know, for hours and hours and hours, it's a good time to have a conversation with your student and say, look, we're not sure. And you can pull back some of the supports before they're out of high school to see how things go. You may find they need a little direct instruction in some strategies. That's what the Learn Smarter podcast is for. <laughs> I agree. But I know I can see the the anxiety building with parents going, but if I pull back, then they're not going to get the grades then they're not going to get in. But I think looking at that bigger picture that some kids aren't ready. Mm-hmm. Some kids might not be ready until they're a little older. And some kids, it's just not what they want. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that's important too. Yeah, all of those things. Thinking about whose dream is it? Do they want to push themselves to make sure that this is what they, you know, they take those classes and write those papers and do the things that they have to do even though you don't want to do it? Is that really what they want or not? And it might change. Right. 
So first of all, right, with what we know about the brain and how it's not really done cooking for a good long time after we're sending them off to college, we should probably make everybody wait four years. Not sure what we do with them in the meantime, but yeah. <laughs> I, I think to Stephanie's point, so if you pull back the supports and their grades go down, what you are actually getting a picture of, in my opinion, is what this is going to look like at college, but not even because there's still that structure of your kid has to turn into an, an a, turn in assignment, like let's say most of the days of the week that helps, right? They get a homework grade. They get a participation grade. And all those things can help to keep them on track. But that stuff goes away in college, right? You just, you're supposed to read the chapter and show up and say something semi coherent in class. It's so easy not to do that stuff. So if you remove the supports and their grades go down, that tells you a lot about how they're going to look, in my opinion. You know, I don't know what you would expect to change between that snapshot you're getting in high school and what it looks like in college, unless you make sure that they start to work on those skills, that they take more responsibility for themselves, because without those supports, everybody's going to see where the need is. And if their grades go down and they don't get into the college they want, they can go to community college and they can transfer, perhaps. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But what makes you think that if they don't have the grades without the supports, then they go to the college where the demands are high because it's a place that required a certain GPA, let's say, and now they don't have the supports. The summer between senior year and freshman year of college is not magic. Oh like, my gosh. It's not going to change yeah. everything in those couple of months. I mean, I do have to say it's one of the better summers <laughs> <laughs> because you don't have any responsibilities really. But that being said, this whole conversation is really important and I think going to be helpful to our audience, to the parents, to even to the teachers or other ed therapists that are listening. And sometimes you need to do the hard work and give the hard information to the parents who might not be open or seeing the reality of what you're seeing. And this is a great tool to broach the subject and help learners be who they want to be. This is the perfect point to say we're going to continue the conversation with you, Elizabeth, over on Patreon. Before we do our signature sign off and all that, how can our audience connect with you and find the book? Uh, well, thank you. So I have a website and it's probably more easily found just searching my name. It's LD Advisory. That's L-D-A-D-V-I-S-O-R-Y. Dot com, But I'm everywhere. I'm very online. So if you look on social media, you'll probably find me. I offer lots of free information on my site. There is a blog with some bonus interview content that didn't make it in the book that I think kind of makes the book, you know, real. There are tips and strategies in there. There's a link to my YouTube channel where I interview smart people about relevant topics. But the book is really the best place to get a really thorough view of what this preparation should look like. I have done my best, you know, since the last book, I've gotten a lot more engaged with parents and I'm hoping it has answered most of your questions. You know, I, I've learned a lot about what worries families and what they're hearing that's not right and tried to address it in the book. So, you know, again, I end this book by saying to parents, look, 
I want you to feel empowered by this information. I know it's anxiety provoking. I don't like that that's the case, but I'd much rather you know what the college environment looks like so that you can do whatever you think your student needs to get them to the place where they're going to be ready and their confidence in themselves and their ability to be independent is going to be really important in that transition. So focus on that. I love that. And we have linked the book in the show notes. So you can just click right there if you would like to read her book, Seven Steps to College Success, A Pathway for Students with Disabilities. And now time for our signature sign off before we record Patreon. So can you go ahead and say, have a great week, Smarties? Have a great week, Smarties. (laughs) Have a great week. Have a great week.